Well, thank you for joining me today on Financially Speaking. My name is Mitch Slater. I'm a Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor with UBS Wealth Management in Westfield, New Jersey. We're along with my partners, Ann and Crystal. We do our best to bring you advice beyond investing and address our clients' most challenging financial needs. It's my sincere hope that each and every episode of this podcast will educate you on personal finance and real-life business issues of the day. So let's jump right in. Without music, life would be a mistake. God, I wish I wrote that, but Nietzsche beat me to the punch long ago. But then I'll throw in Springsteen, of course, and he summed it up in No Surrender, saying he learned more from a three-minute record than he ever learned in school. But sadly, after the No Child Left Behind legislation, music education disappeared from many of our public schools. Today on Financially Speaking, we're going to talk to someone who believes that we are all innately musical, but unlike many of us, he's done something about it. At first with 31st graders, and he's helped and restore and revitalize music education all across America for more than 850,000 low-income children. And over the last 16 years, musical legends like Bonnie Raitt, Smokey Robinson, Carlos Santana, Lady Gaga, Steve Van Zandt, Bruce Springsteen, I'm just naming a few here, trust me, have participated and performed to help make music education grow through Little Kids Rock. He is my guest, and I'm proud to say my friend, Dave Wish, the founder and the CEO of Little Kids Rock, and full disclosure, I served on their New York advisory board, I believe from 2010 through around 2017. Welcome, Dave. Good to see you. It's a pleasure to be here, Mitch. In full disclosure, you're a super nice guy. Oh, please. <laughs> Come on. Ruin the reputation. Listen, we like to start our shows off hearing the journey people took to where they are today. And I mentioned it briefly, but I know yours started, I think, was it East Palo Alto? Yeah, I, I started my um, teaching career in the murder capital of the United States, which in 1992 was East Palo Alto, California. And although that's kind of an ominous start <laughs> to a story, I just... I just really loved the community and the kids that I worked with. Of course, I was saddened by the obstacles that they faced, poverty and the crime, etc. But the children and the community were just really wonderful. After a while, after teaching for a few years, I started to really be disturbed, really, that there was no music program for the children. Um, and I'm a music maker myself. I play a bunch of different instruments. And so one day on the lark, it just I thought, you know what? I'd love to make this school a more harmonious place, so why not get literal with that and start some music classes? So I started offering free music classes to my first grade students, and that was really the sum total goal. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to teach my 35 uh, first graders to play music. And I, I taught them the way that I wished that I had been taught as a kid. In other words, I taught them to play the music that they knew and loved. I asked them, hey, wh who are your favorite musicians? What's your favorite music? Let let's do that. Exactly. You know? And I think that they just felt really validated and, and seen, you know, like, wow, the teacher's asking me what I like and showing me how to play that. So anyways, what started happening, I noticed very quickly, like shy kids started speaking up, you know, tough kids started softening up, um, struggling kids started stepping up. And um, my kids started writing their own songs, their own music. Wow. Um, and all the other kids in the school were really interested in this um, weird music program that had sprung up and started asking, could I be in your music class? I opened one after another class after school. We started selling CDs of the original music of our kids. Oh, that's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, you know, just originally to like, right. you know, family and sure. community members. Those original recordings got picked up by local radio stations. Oh, that's wonderful. 
And we started having some really interesting guests come by the school, like Bonnie Raitt and um, John Lee Hooker um, came by to meet the kids and 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 share the the story. And you're still the teacher at this point. You haven't. I'm yeah, a regular first, first grade, grade school teacher. teacher. Right? Yeah, sure. What happened? Little Kids Rock as a not for profit didn't really. It wasn't something I planned. It was something that happened accidentally because the kids that wanted to be in my program far outnumbered the hours of the day that I had. I mean, I had a full-time job as a first-grade school teacher. Right. So in order to not turn kids away, I started recruiting other school teachers that I knew and saying, look (laughs) – this is something really special. You could do this. I know, you know, Maria or Frank or whoever, I know you play a little bit. Let me give you the instruments. Let me give you the curriculum. Let me train you and show you how you can build a music class with your kids and put them at the center of their own learning. Even if you're a fifth grade teacher or a high school math person or whatever, if you want to contribute your labor this way, I can make it really easy. And a lot of teachers started answering the call and I realized, wow, like, I actually enjoy training these teachers and equipping them just as much as I enjoy teaching the kids myself. But by doing this way, we could have an exponentially greater impact, right? We could reach so many more children. So in 2002, I I left teaching at the end of the school year and founded Little Kids Rock. We've been doing sort of the same thing ever since. There's no occupation that's completely filled with saints or sinners. I'll let your listeners decide how they feel about different professions. But for me, as a former educator, I do think that education attracts a lot of service people, people who are in it for no other reason than to try to put something of lasting value into another human being's life. Make a difference. Make a difference. Leave a legacy. Yeah. I've found a veritable national army of educators who are like, oh, yeah. I'll raise my hand for music education. I'll help bring music education back. I'll help expand it and make it more accessible. So Little Kids Rock, uh, the way we work is we go into school districts, find school teachers that would like to be involved, train them, equip them with instruments, equip them with our very special curriculum. That curriculum, again, teaches kids to play you know, guitar, bass, drums, keyboards, the music that the instruments that make the music that they know and love. Um, and then we network them together. And in that fashion, you know, Little Kids Rock has built a program that um, over the last 18 years has brought the transformational gift of music education to over 850,000 children. And one of my favorite parts of being involved with little kids was watching these kids. I think you once called it, Dave, the cool factor as they're playing the songs they love right away. And you mentioned that before. They're making sounds instantaneously. They're not sitting there in a classroom. And, and again, it's important to hear the, the history of classical music and, and be able to read music and, and composition and all those things we're not saying. But in some of these inner city schools, I mean, you know, they maybe just wanted to play, I don't know, Wiz Khalifa or, or, or Taylor Swift or whatever. So talk a little bit about that aspect of the program, because that's magic. Yeah, I, I think that the most important person in the world for a child to feel cool in front of is themselves. I just love the idea that they feel confident, that they can do something, that they can have agency. Um, and when you can leverage that internal passion, that intrinsic motivation, it's so different than the external, like I'm doing this for a grade or I'm doing this because my parents tell me I should do this, but rather I'm doing this because this this brings me joy and happiness. Now, in terms of what music can do that, I like to quote Tchaikovsky who said that um, – I think it was Tchaikovsky – that music is enough for a lifetime, but a lifetime is not enough for music. 
In other words, you can spend your whole life doing music, you will never reach the end. And there's no such thing in my mind as good music or bad music. There's just music that a person loves and is inspired by and music that maybe doesn't do that for them. Your listeners may be fascinated to find out that if you were to take classical music, jazz music, uh, folk music, world music, and children's music, all five of those genres combined represent less than 5% of the music that all Americans of all classes and all races listen to. I happen to be one of those Americans. <laughs> yeah. I'm a big jazz head. But, but I will tell you that oftentimes school music programs may only reflect those genres. So there's a weird disconnect. Like you have this incredible cultural capital, the music that we as Americans create and listen to and consume both from downloads, purchases, streaming, and yet it lives outside of the academy. And I don't generally speak in terms of uh, financial terms because I'm not qualified to. But the little that I know about music and entertainment is that it's a juggernaut of an industry and that it's actually one of the areas where I think that the United States of America can proudly say we're still on the global stage one of the most respected leaders on the planet when it comes to our arts mm -hmm. and our artists. Right. Everybody wants American music, American right. movies, American theater. That's the sort of the global lingua franca. American popular culture and music is the lingua franca of the world. And as a cultural ambassador to the world stage, when we eliminate our arts, all we're doing, in my estimation, is the opposite of leading with the strength. It's like, well, we've got that, but whatever. We could, that's not important. And I think, uh, you know, again, it's not my place to have a political position, but I would say that I think we can all agree that we're not at a high water mark of everybody getting right. <laughs> getting well, along. You know, one of, one, of, one of the issues, uh, you know, for many people over the last fifteen years, and when I was on the board of education, I noticed this a lot. Everybody talked about STEM, 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 science, technology, engineering, math, and yeah, critical, critical. It should be STEAM. And I know that's I'm stealing that from Steve Van Zandt. I know he says that a lot in his concerts and everything, but that's really what it should be, right? The arts should be in there. Of course. And, you know, look, Steven's such a wonderful spokesperson and does such wonderful work himself. Yeah, I, I like to put it this way. Think of the body of work that has built liberal arts education. And I, I use the word body almost literally here. Well, what is a body? Body is a collection of organs that make for a healthy organism. So when people say we really have to focus on STEM, so these other subjects don't matter, I, I start to think, well, if you were a doctor, would you tell me to remove a kidney? Because I can live without one and it'll be better for my pancreas to not have to work so hard and compete for, I mean, it just doesn't really make sense. There's a reason that liberal arts education has evolved to make this country and other countries that embrace sort of a well-rounded education ascendant and, and amazing. And it doesn't come from a myopic narrowing of focus. And, you know, the other thing that I would say about STEM and STEAM, of course, STEAM, one of the other things I like to talk about, I mean, as an educator, we live in a time of almost a fanaticism about testing and measuring. And of course, those things are important. But the standardization of education, while it sounds good in paper, I just like to point out to people, are the answers to 
to the world's problems standardized? Is this something that a child's going to be able to answer in a multiple choice test? Like we can end political divisiveness in our society by A, being nicer to each other. B, I mean, it's just like, that's just not the way the world <laughs> exactly, works. Exactly. You know, we're yeah. going to, it's a well-known fact among so many leaders in so many industries that the music and the arts that they got in their own lives and that they maintain are critically important to them as they navigate problem solving because problem solving is a creative act. Oh, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about the specifics. So you're in 45 states right now. You invented an entirely new kind of school music program called Modern Band, and it's been adopted you know, in New York City, L.A., Chicago, Dallas, and just naming a few. Tell us about Modern Band and a little bit about the methodology and how the student engagement has been such a big part of that. Sure. I mean, I'll say that personally, one of my favorite sayings is that life is uncertain, so you should eat your dessert first. Mm-hmm. Or as Warren Zevon said, enjoy every sandwich. <laughs> one of his last words. Oh, really? Yeah. So when it comes to arts and music, I have a fundamental belief that all human beings are innately musical and it's our job to draw the music out, not drum it in. What does that mean practically? Well, there are a lot of ways that you can teach music and all of them have their merits. But I love doing something where it's super hands-on and a child is playing right away. If I can't make you feel like a drummer, in 30 seconds, if I can't make you feel like a guitarist or a ukulele player or a singer in a minute, I might want to try a different approach. And I can give you some examples of ways that you could do it slowly. You want to play piano? You like Bruce Springsteen? Great. Okay. Here's the here's the bass clef. Here's the treble clef. Here's every note on the piano. We're going to learn how to read all of these different notes, et cetera, et cetera. And, and it's going to be a, a mathematically oriented sort of da, 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 and eventually whatever, you'll play pieces that you know once you can read music. Now, there is another approach and a lot of people who don't make music are completely unaware of the fact like I could just as easily say, OK, you want to play Let It Be by the Beatles? Great. Here's a pattern right now on the on the piano keyboard. Press down these three white keys. Great. Now move that same shape to four different places. Great. Now you're playing Let It Be. Right. Okay, I didn't tell you that you're playing a C chord to a G chord to an A minor chord to an F chord, and each of them have the one, the, th- the one, the three, the five of the parent scale from the relative chord. I mean, right, because we all know that there's every great song we've ever written is four chords, yeah, <laughs> sometimes and, three. Exactly, and and you know, like I, Mingus said something that I really like. He said that you know, making the simple complicated is commonplace. Making the complicated simple. That's creativity. So I like taking music down to its most elemental parts. And modern band focuses on the production of music, the creation of original music, and the agency of the learner more than a Western conservatory model would. Both are wonderful, but they're different. And so when you say that we've invented an entirely new kind of music program, modern band, that's very true. It's being taught now in colleges and universities across the United States. And It's different from that Western conservatory model because, for example, you'll hear many classical musicians say sometimes, not all, but some of them say, like, I feel like a fraud. And I'll say, why? And they say, well, because if I don't have my music in front of me, I can't make music. And uh, and I've heard, by the way, other people say popular music. I feel like a fraud, like and some very well-known popular musicians. Well, why? Why would you say that? Well, because I can't read music. And I feel like, can't we all just feel comfortable with who we are? And can't we, can't we live up to that 
quote by Tchaikovsky that music's enough for a lifetime, but uh, a lifetime is not enough for music, and you can find your path. It's okay. And that without judgment, without ranking, you know, this is better or worse right. than I this. I hate the ranking. Yeah, it just doesn't make any sense. No, no. It doesn't make any sense. No, I mean, listen, every picture tells a story, don't it? So every song that every one of your kids play, I'd like to hear some of the stories from you because I've heard some in the past and I, I think that when people hear about what the kids and their parents what this has done in, in, in their lives alright uh, well I'm going to tell you a true story I wasn't really planning on this but because you asked me and because okay. it's timely okay, um, and because I have it right here I was told by one of our teachers eight or nine years ago that he had a little uh, – he had a student in his class who was wonderfully talented and learned how to play guitar while she was 10 or so in his class and uh, wrote a beautiful song and he sent me this song. And he said there's a funny thing though. There's a curious coincidence. This young student's grandfather is a songwriter. You may have heard of him. His name is Robert Hunter. Oh my god. And I said, well, in fact, <laughs> he just passed I have, away. I, I have heard of week, him. Yeah. So, um, so he said, well, so guess what? His granddaughter is now um, feeling closer and more connected to her grandfather because of this common bond that they have. So I was reminded of this when I read about Robert's passing a, a little while ago, and I, I reached out to the teacher who had been our teacher, and I said, hey, you know, remember that? You know, blah, blah. He says, yeah, sure, I still have the, the song, and this is it right here. So um, I have it on my phone. exclusive here on Financially Speaking. Yeah, here we go. Okay. Well, I can't think of a better example, and, and her grandfather, for those that aren't aware, wrote one of the most of the greatest songs for the Grateful Dead, as well as Dark Star is just one that jumps into my mind. And so she went through this program. This was her introduction to music. And what I would say about this, especially for people to understand, I think that music and the arts are magic. Magic is something that's inexplicable. I mean, <laughs> I don't mean in a mythical way, but it, it's something you just can't explain. If I took the words that the girl wrote, you might look and say, oh, yeah, you know, okay. If I played her beginning guitar playing just by itself, you might go, it sounds like she's kind of rough on that guitar. You know, if I took the melody and put it out, you might be like, oh, that's kind of catchy. You put it all together and it becomes something that to me anyways never gets old and is transformative when I see a child expressing themselves by writing their own music i mean it's like alchemy is really and, and and it's not just children look i'll give you another good example you know if i tell you say so i'm gonna give you a song here's some lyrics from when i was a little boy of a song it, it says i want some hot stuff i want some hot stuff baby this evening i want some hot <laughs> stuff baby tonight i want hot stuff baby this evening um oh i need your love i want your love tonight hot stuff baby hot stuff give me hot stuff now you know, you can be a critic of it, but you know what? They're still playing that song yeah. because of them. You know, you take that 
and you combine it with one of the best, you know, uh, disco bands of the 1970s, now you have a classic hit. And it's much bigger than the words right. or the beat. It's it's the everything. It's the something that it captures in the zeitgeist. Did Donna know? Summer write? I'd have no I don't idea. Know if she actually wrote it. <laughs> I don't know who wrote it. But whoever wrote it yeah. likes the word hot and yeah, stuff exactly. a lot. Yeah, no, and, and, and I... Fortunately, met her and got to see her play, and, and it is amazing when you just take those lyrics. So you run a nonprofit and kind of depend on the kindness of strangers, so to speak. So what was that like for you at first to ask for money to help? This is not your background, to help little kids rocket off the ground. I mean, you've got some big partners, success stories, given you the privilege of donating nearly 100,000 instruments. Listen to me, folks. 100,000 instruments have been donated in the last 16 years. That is an amazing, amazing thing. And last year, I think the Andrew Lloyd Webber Foundation donated 100,000 pounds, uh, roughly like that, Absolutely. for music education in Chicago. Yeah, but we have other wonderful partners like our friends at the Hot Topic Foundation who have donated over $4 million over the last 10 years and Niagara Cares who have also donated millions of dollars. Um, but the organization's also been built by people who come to our benefit events and spend right. you know a couple hundred bucks for a ticket or ten thousand dollars for a table or more. And people like yourself, to be really quite honest, Mitch, who who are the backbone of this organization, asking for money. I mean, clearly, I don't care a lot about money, or I wouldn't have become an educator. I think money is the least valuable thing that people have. I think the most valuable thing that they have is their time. And I don't feel like a fundraiser. I feel like an opportunity giver. And I think that anybody who's a service person, like, look, I can offer you an opportunity to make the world a better place. If we, like, and I like to say, if, if we want our kids to live in a harmonious world, then we need to invest in harmony. We want our kids to live in a beautiful world. We have to invest in beauty. And if that speaks to you, great. And by the way, if it doesn't, it doesn't make you a bad person necessarily. Maybe your issue is the environment, or maybe you want to make the world better by fighting for women's rights here or there. I mean, like, I don't sit in judgment. And by the way, nor do I feel judged if someone's like, nah, you know, thanks, but I'm not really interested. My job as a leader of a nonprofit, and this would be my counsel to any of the, my peers, is to channel the goodwill, good intentions of people into your good plan to make a big difference. Whatever your whatever that cause would be, exactly, and getting to see it tangibly, and fortunately, at these events and the, the, the most recent one that's coming up, I'm going to mention it's October 19th in New York City, uh, PlayStation Theater, I believe, and it's going to honor Warren Haynes, Usher, Wiz Khalifa. We're going to provide a link for tickets, and and obviously the music is great. I've seen incredible performances by everyone from Brian Wilson to Elvis Costello to Darlene Love to Bruce Springsteen, Steve Van Zandt, Alice Cooper. Eddie Money, uh, not Eddie Money, um, Steve Miller, to, to just name a few. We lost Eddie Money but yeah. recently. Luckily, Steve's still here, and he's, yeah. and he's coming. He He'll is. be there. He's, He'll be there. Uh, he's, he's wonderful. He's just, he is wonderful. But it's more than that. You get to see the kids on stage playing with their rock star idols. Well, that's something that, I know you have a few stories there. Yeah, that's something that I feel, you know, like I've had the privilege of working with many wonderful people. Some of them are better known, others aren't. My connection to them is based on how connected they are to the mission and the kids. It just occurred to me like we have all these like well-known people that support our kids, but the kids are really the stars. So I like, you know, we're not the Grammys, we're not right. the we're not an award show. We're not trying to 
<laughs> publicize how wonderful Usher's music is. Everybody knows that already. What we're trying to publicize is how wonderful Usher is for supporting our kids. And what better way than being there for them, being a part of their band, you know, same for like like Warren Haynes um, and his wife, Steph, are, are wonderful people, but also donors to our work. They've supported us. Um, you know, Usher is helping us launch 20 schools in Chattanooga, his hometown. I just like the visual and the emotional impact of putting kids at the fore and the artists are sort of like hey we're happy to be a part of your band right it's like today's stars standing up for tomorrow's and not just the stars just like i don't again i the the problems of the world can become overwhelming for me when i like to simplify them down take this in or outside of music education or anywhere else when the grown-ups give the kids everything they've got, when the grown-ups do everything they can for the benefit of the next generation, things tend to work out well. When you start to cut out that next generation and stop thinking about them and stop focusing on them and stop worrying about what's going to impact their lives, bad things happen. No, very true. And I'm going to link to something, which was many of you know, I've seen so many concerts over the years and many of them, yes, Bruce Springsteen, but truly probably in one of the top two or three moments in my musical life of experiencing something was watching Graham Nash sing Teach Your Children Well with a bunch of kids from the Amp Up New York City program, which I'm going to let you talk about in a minute. And not just the fact that Graham Nash was there. I mean, obviously it's his song, and but you could see the emotion in his face. I saw that rehearsal too. And, and my God, you can't put a price on that. When we run our events, we um, ask our uh, our artist friends to play a song that they're very well known for and that's that have changed other people's lives. But we also ask them to play a song that changed their lives. And they also perform with our kids. So Graham Nash, it was really cool that night. I remember that. I actually, I, I'm not ashamed to say I got a little weepy when I watched our kids sing Teach Your Children Well because it was a song that I remember being so moved by as a young person and now as a not so young person to watch Graham sing it with little kids was pretty amazing. But he also talked about his the song that had changed his life and I remember you may as well. He said, um, you know, I remember when I was in the seventh grade, I was at a dance and I just – felt so in love with this one girl there and I couldn't look at her and I couldn't talk to her and I couldn't get my courage up and you know it was the last dance of the night and on comes my favorite song wake up little Susie and and I don't know if it was the Everly brothers yeah. coaching me <laughs> or what but I got the nerve up and I asked her to dance and I that night I was blessed with my first kiss and I can't imagine what my life would have been like without that moment and I knew it was of course it was this wonderful other person but there was something about the music. Then he went on to to give a life that proved, yeah, there is something about the music. Yeah, and and his his you can't say enough about the music. What that had to do with our society, especially in the 1960s. So tell us a little bit about the Berkeley College of Music and the New York City Department of Education program, Amp Up New York City, because that's an amazing program. Yes, thank you so much. Well, we launched a program in 2014 with our friends over at the Berkeley College of Music and also the New York Department of Ed to bring modern band music programs programming throughout the city. And the idea was we had a higher ed partner like Berkeley, who's a leader in the field of music education, secondary music education, or higher education. 
you have the largest school system in the United States. And you have us, Little Kids Rock, who are innovators in music education. And we thought there's a real trifecta. And what we did uh, over the course of three years, I'm proud to say, we had originally hoped that we would train and equip 500 teachers. We had originally hoped that we would reach 70,000 students, um, or maybe it was 60,000. I can't remember, to be honest. What wound up happening is we trained, equipped over 600 school teachers. The program has reached over 85,000 school children, is still in place. Those teachers are still working. And we successfully, we announced at the end of three years, which was the original plan, that the experiment had been a wonderful, wonderful success. And in the wake of that, many other school districts and also many other colleges and universities started to embrace modern band as a way of getting more children into music making. So something else that your viewers may not know, or I guess the listeners, right? Mm -hmm. You can't see us. (laughs) If you could, you'd see how tall I am. One of the things that your listeners may not be aware of is that when schools do have music education, it's usually compulsory at the elementary level, right? So you're K-5, K you got a music teacher, you're going to have music class. But when it becomes middle school and high school time, it's an elective. Right. And kids start to vote with their feet. What do I mean by that? Well, you go from 100% participation, and then when it gets to middle school, that number sometimes drops down to 20% or even less. Right. And then when it goes to high school, the number goes even goes further down. Now, look, part of that is competing schedules, da da, but part of it has to do with the fact I think of a lack of diversity in what kids can do musically. I like to say that modern band helps schools build music programs that are as diverse as the students that they serve. And colleges and universities and school districts across the country who work on music education do recognize generally, that we have an issue of or a crisis of relevancy for certain members of our community. I'll go back to what I said about what music do we as Americans listen to? What is the lingua franca of our, of our culture? So now you have colleges and universities as diverse and wonderful as Ithaca College of Music, Florida International University. Boy, there's like 60 of them. And so I, I, I lose right. But they're all, they're all on our they're, on the website. They're on the website. Yeah. You can read about them. But just wonderful wonder uh, the university of kentucky and what so these colleges and universities partner with little kids rock we train their music educators to broaden what it is they're bringing to the next generation of music teachers we're trying to impact the entire ecosystem of music education not just the teachers that are already in the classroom but the next generation i'm putting myself at the ear of the listener and i'm sure there's some teachers out there that are thinking how do I do this? How do I, how do I get involved? I'm sure there's some folks out there that are as big a music fans as I am that are like, I want to contribute. What can I do? So let's first start with the teachers. If there's some teachers out there that want to get their schools involved, what's the what's the first step they should take? Wonderful. So for everybody, the first step you should take is visiting our website, www.littlekidsrock.org, and find the pathway that speaks to you. There's a column for teachers and educators. If you go that route, you will find professional development. One of the things I like to tell people is like, sure, we give away instruments, and we give away more instruments than any other entity in the country right. by, by a long shot, which we purchase and, and donate. But I think of that as the least of our value proposition. Really, what are, are the most valuable thing that we provide to teachers are ideas.
ideas, ideas for how to reach more children, how to reach tough to reach children sometimes. So the first step is come and get trained. Take a professional development with Little Kids Rock. They're free to educators and you should come out and check it out. And I think you'll get a feeling very quickly for why it is that this program is so overwhelmingly popular for both music educators who have been teaching for many years. In fact, there's a great article about a woman named Laura McCoy in uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana, who is certainly old enough to retire. The local news station did a whole story on her how she's not going to retire. She was going to. (laughs) But then she started teaching modern band and she felt like – because she had been feeling stale. She had been feeling like, you know, I've been doing this a long time. Maybe it's time to move on. I don't know if I still have what it takes to contribute. And after receiving training from Little Kids Rock and learning about modern band, she was like, oh, no, I'm not leaving the classroom. Like I want to do this. So I would recommend to any teachers that are out there, come to one of our professional developments. Also call the office, you know. Teachers are our, teachers are our jam. You do an amazing program out in Colorado with all the teachers every summer. I mean, you know, there's just so much happening. And obviously, if you want to donate, you can just go to the website that we will link to and a big event on October 19th. So, well, today was about music. So why don't we end on a musical note, pun intended. Dave is, by the way, a really great musician. I have jammed with him or at least tried to keep up on the keyboards with, with him and a bunch of his friends. And uh, I noticed you brought a little ukulele with you today. Yes, I did. Uh, you know, they're so small and they get sad when you leave them at home. Okay. Well, why don't you maybe play a little bit for us as I go through the closing of the show, but I'll let, we'll turn it over to you. So I go to Cape Cod every summer and that's really the only place that I really play ukulele. And I go for every morning sunrise. And as the sun comes up, I like to play this song. I cannot thank you enough for not only appearing today on the podcast, but for all you've done to keep music education alive. You are an amazing visionary, a leader, and truly doing good. And for I, for one, thank you, especially for that version of Here Comes the Sun. Thank you so much for this, Mitch. It's really a pleasure to speak with you. That's always, always great. Once again, if you are in the New York City area, or even if you're not, mark your calendar this month and go to this year's Little Kids Rock Benefit on the 19th. Details will be in the show notes. And you can help them reach their one millionth student. That's coming soon, right? Absolutely. You absolutely can. Little Kids Rock is able to serve a brand new student at a brand new school for as little as $25. Um, So please consider making a contribution today. Um, And by the way, it it costs us about $6,500 to start a program at a school. That's a complete set of musical instruments, a trained teacher, all of the curriculum that they need, and a linking to their peers across the country, ongoing support. Your contribution means 
a tremendous amount to the teachers and the students that we serve. So thanks for considering it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, our pleasure. And, and I guess if you can name the name of that one million student, there must be some prize if you can come up with that person's <laughs> name. There's always a contest. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Financially Speaking. Remember to follow us on Spotify. And when it comes to saving for your musical future, and please have music in, future, in your future. And for me, I've been saving my shekels for next year's Springsteen Tour. Pay yourself first. Have a great day. Bye.